Another trade deadline has come and gone. And let me be the first to say, at least on this podcast, thank God. Holy Hannah, could we just end this madness? Maybe not. It's a lot of fun too. Uh, Mike Farwell over here, Dan Mahar over there. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar and me at Farwell underscore OHL. By my count, Mr. Mahar, I mean, it's going to be a rough count, but I've got 54 players and 102 draft picks. You get a little bit dizzy. My eyes go a little bit glazed looking at the site for too long. Safe to say. More than 50 players, more than 100 draft picks trading hands between the Christmas break and the trade deadline on January the 10th. Welcome to the OHL when the championship is in your league. <laughs> yeah, you know, they talk about inflation impacting groceries and new cars and whatnot. Forget that. Like it, nothing has it impacted more than OHL trades, apparently, because the prices are just skyrocketing. It was quite the year i'm we're going to go over as much as we can here and by the way i should also add this in thanks for finding us on a random thursday we figured why release on the ninth which would have been our typical release date when 24 hours later the stuff was all going to be old we thought we'll just wait till the deadline's done and then bring you something hot off the presses to analyze the deadline which is what this is all about we'll be back on our regular schedule look for your next episode as per usual recapping the weekend that was next tuesday morning wherever you get your podcasts but we're here right now and we're going to do the best that we can on this episode as we always do and you're probably going to dislike some of it or think we missed stuff, hey, you know how to find us. Again, at Dan Mahar on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter. Thanks a lot to Henry, who pointed out what a homer we are. Love that. You can also email ohlpodcast at rogers.com. I think, Dan, it makes sense to start where the Memorial Cup will be held. I was about to say next May. Oh, no, no, we're only months away now. It's 2024. And as we expected... The Saginaw spirit made sure that everybody knows the championship goes through Michigan. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, in geopolitical terms, when you see countries saying, oh, that country's really amassing a lot of uh, an arsenal at their borders. Well, we saw that, everyone saw that happening with Saginaw. We saw their pick database. We saw everything they were amassing to go for it this year. And boy, did they ever unload. <laughs> so, Let's just put this in perspective. You talk about that pick database, and this is a plan like everybody said it last year. Remember, Saginaw, through the first half of the season, roughly by about Christmas time, like they're still running near the top of their division, top of the league, and everybody's like, whoa, is, is, is Saginaw peaking uh, a year early? And then Dave Drinkle swallows hard and says, no, no, we've got a plan. The plan is next year, and the Pavel Minchikov trade was just one piece of building up that war chest, if you will. And then they come into this year. And I'll, I'll say this about Dave Drinkle, the GM in Saginaw. I really like how straight he shoots. He said to us after the first deal that he made, of course, I'm not done. I intend on doing everything I can to give us the best chance. And he was true to his word. I mean, he went out and did, well, I'll run down the list in just a moment. But I, I like that from Dave Drinkle, and I love what the uh, team's Twitter account shared. On, I think it was on deadline day. In drinks we trust. Yeah, and Chris Lazary is probably like, give me a few drinks because i got to bring all of these guys together now as the coach and, uh, and figure out how to get them to play. But this is what it looks like now in Saginaw. Additions. 
to the Saginaw Spirit team, Owen Beck, Jorian Donovan, Josh Bloom, Alex Christopoulos, Roddy Dionizio, Ethan Hay, Nolan Lalonde, Will Bishop, Braden Hache, Aiden Castle. That is half a freaking roster. A lot of personalities, a lot of talent to bring together, to mold into a championship team. But you cannot say that Dave Drinkle did not deliver as he promised he would for Saginaw. Yeah, you know, I look at their additions and I saw a little bit of a theme. And the theme for me was all around players, like players that bring it in all three zones. And obviously that's the brand they're trying to play. Uh, we, You and I recently saw them live, Mike, and they did not relinquish much. And the reason is that Saginaw Spirit team, if you look at that roster, has essentially built an entire roster that is league average and above. So if you go down the bottom of their roster, they're, they're midline in the league and up. So you're not going to get a break when you play the Saginaw Spirit anymore. You you had trouble containing Zane Prack. Well, good luck. Look over to his side and you see Jorian Donovan now. Yeah. you're sick of Owen Beck winning all the draws and shutting down your top guys. Well, yeah, don't forget we got Ethan Hay. And this was all on top of what they already had coming into the season. We haven't even talked about Michael Misa and Josh Bloom. Talk about a free asset there. Uh, A player who's based, they traded just over a year ago to the North Bay Battalion to get assets. Wasn't expected back for an overage year. Hasn't had a great year in, in the East Coast League. Suddenly the Vancouver Canucks organization said, hey, you know, maybe he could uh, go play some more in the OHL for a few months. And North Bay had relinquished his rights. So hello, Saginaw, free asset that could potentially be one of your top line guys. So, yeah, I just look up and down that lineup, Mike. They can all skate. They're all responsible. It, it, it might not wow you with the dynamic skill set up top. You might not just blow you away and say, where's the Pavel Minchikov or whomever. But up and down that lineup is good. And you're going to have an awfully hard time finding any kind of respite in 60 minutes against that team. You mentioned Josh Bloom and and really the, the free asset that returns. It does also show the business side of the game, even at this level. Dean Locus now in Mississauga earlier in the season, Roberto Mancini traded away from Saginaw in that deal with Windsor. There's a couple of guys that, that gave their careers to this point to Saginaw. And now just because they didn't fit the mold or the plan in their overage years, they have to uh, finish up elsewhere. I I'm not blaming anybody for this, but it's it's a reminder that even at this level, there are tough business decisions to be made. Yeah, I especially feel for Dean Locus. I mean, you look at a fairly local kid there who's given his heart and soul to that team and was going to have a shot to play in a Memorial Cup on home ice there. And probably not what they were necessarily planning. I don't think they thought Josh Bloom was going to fall into their laps. But I mean, these, these are where the problem with going for Memorial Cup, Mike, is that Tough decisions have to be made, especially when you have a limit on overagers. You've only got three, and most of these teams that load up have four or five options, and you're going to have to cut a good player loose. And so Dean Locus will call him collateral damage in a in a load-up year. The opportunity still exists because for my money, and we'll get to it in more detail, but I wouldn't exactly say the east has a clear favorite still so who knows i you know i i wouldn't mind the the subplot to a mississauga saginaw ohl final but we'll just leave that right there before we move on from saginaw i want to zero in on one of the deals and and i love the way that uh, a scout put it to me after it happened it was the jorian donovan deal for eight count them eight draft picks the scout that talked to me about that called it the Team Canada tax on Donovan, which I thought was rather amusing. But that is a 
whale of a price. Again, Minchikov last year was nine draft picks, but Jory and Donovan commands that much to come over from Brantford to help the Saginaw spirit on this playoff run. Yeah, you know, Mike, that Team Canada tax is kind of valid because you look at these players that play in the World Junior Championship every year, and they are the shiniest of the shiny new toys, right? And when you look at Jory and Donovan's a fantastic player. Uh, he's great for the Brantford Bulldogs all year. His World Junior Tournament wasn't necessarily that impressive. He was kind of a late ad Team Canada, so a lot of reasons why it may not have gone well, but struggled a bit in his early appearances, then basically rode the pine. So it's not like the performance in the tournament upped his stock, just the very fact that he was in the tournament upped his stock. And we see that every year with various players. Like, oh, he was in the World Juniors. Price just went up. And when you have multiple teams looking to buy and fewer teams on the side of being sellers... I guess that drives up prices as well. Uh, more on Brantford in just a bit, but let's flip over to the other side, Dan, and look at the Eastern Conference because I mentioned a moment ago, and I mean, I'm not saying Mississauga is like maybe one of the top choices to win the East, but I'm really not ready to discount anybody over there yet. And and that's despite the fact that the Sudbury Wolves, you know, went out and, and made some significant acquisitions at this deadline. I, I love the acquisition of Donovan McCoy, championship experience, leadership, the, the now former captain of the Peterborough Peets. The, the Zach Giroux story, I mean, what can you say about bringing a kid home for a chance at the first ever title in Sudbury? So that's a nice piece too. And then Noah Van Vliet, but Van Vliet comes at a, a pretty significant cost too with Owen Protz, a couple of high draft picks, a few high draft picks in there, two seconds, a third. And they also the uh, Sudbury Wolves to move their first rounder in Caden Taylor to get Donovan McCoy. So I don't know if it's Sudbury really blowing its brains out the way we talked about them doing, but it's, it's about as good as it gets in terms of the magnitude of the deals in the East. And from day one, this season, a lot of people were looking at Sudbury saying, this is your time. This is your window. You better jump through it. Rob Papano's taking a shot. Yeah, if if things don't work out for Sudbury, you sure as heck can't blame Rod Papineau here. He's given them everything they could possibly need to make a run. And and yeah, like if you want really to sum up the additions they made, you take an NHL signed player like Toure and ship him out to make room for some of these guys. That tells you the quality they feel they've got there, especially on the back end. Noah Van Vliet's quite a sneaky addition in my mind. You got to six foot three the rough and tumble player added to a lineup that was already rough and tumble and he's kind of the low-key addition in the lineup so up again up and down that Sudbury lineup uh but like you Mike I'm not sure I'm totally sold on anyone in the east right now and that's because there's a lot of quality there there's a lot of the balance is pretty solid a lot of teams have some weaponry so it's going to be who's going and we know Sudbury is going to play that heavy game on you. They're going to try and bang you and run you in submission. But don't forget, teams that play that style also tend to wear themselves out a bit too. So when you get into rounds three and four, where are they? Uh, I think depth-wise, Sudbury is top of the heat for me. Uh, it's just a matter of can they get all the parts moving in the right direction? Are they going to get the scoring they need from, from Goyat and Dvorsky and some of the top-end guys? Um, but they've certainly loaded up as much as anyone in that city could have expected. So if it doesn't work out for them this year, I might just be shrugging. I will preface this by saying one live viewing, okay? But it was a recent live viewing. And when you mentioned scoring, Dan, that I think is the least of Sudbury's problems, even prior to the acquisitions. Definitely that heavy game that you talk about. But 
this team appears to me uh, to be almost cut from a 1980s cloth where they're just essentially saying, we will outscore you, so let's just go. It's a track meet when you play the Sudbury Wolves. And I did wonder, you know, it's the old adage, right? Defense wins championships. And look, Donovan McCoy, nice piece. Noah Van Vliet, you talk about him, nice pieces, right? But do they have, I wondered if they might want to upgrade in goal. And I'm not trying to whiz on anybody over there, but that was a question mark coming in. And I don't know what the market necessarily had, but it's it's going to be interesting. And look, if it if it doesn't happen this time around, as you said, I don't know that you can point a finger and say you didn't give it your very best shot. But I am a little bit concerned still about Sudbury's ability to keep pucks out of their own net. Yeah, it, it's a valid criticism, Mike. I know they just spent assets on Marcus Vandenberg, a 19-year-old goalie who was really solid for them for the first several games. Showed some cracks in a couple games recently. I wonder if it's, some of it was tied to the mobility on the back end. They had some issues with uh, outside speed on attackers. Hoping they addressed that with Donovan McCoy and Noah Van Vliet. That was clearly was in their mind. So I'm not keeping this all on the goaltending. But I think they were stuck in a bit of uh, a conundrum there because you've just spent assets on a goaltender. You've already got Vondras there. You've got Krawcheck. You've got a crowded crease as it is. But to compound things there, I think the best goaltenders that were reasonably available were overagers, and they didn't have another overager space. They couldn't go for a Denoso. They couldn't go for for any of the uh, an Anson Thornton flyer, uh, potentially. So I think they were really limited in what they could do, and they're just going to have, have to hope between Vondras and, and Vandenberg, one of them gets hot, and that's quite possible. Yeah, I agree with that, especially with Vondras coming back from the World Juniors and that bronze medal. We'll see how that factors in. Just to put into perspective how much this means to fans in Sudbury, I was because all of the the madness really started. I remember getting onto the bus from a, a game in North Bay on Sunday, which would have been the seventh. And I, I think I spent the entire trip back to Kitchener on my phone following the trades that had already begun to trickle in. And by Monday, I was getting messages from people in Sudbury asking me what the heck is going on? Why hasn't Sudbury made a move? Do you really think Sudbury is going to make a move? I said, calm down. They're just, yes, of course, Sudbury is going to be jumping in here. And clearly they did. Okay. I want to stay in the Eastern conference for a moment here because um, Donovan McCoy's name has uh, come up already. Owen Beck's name has come up already. Look, I, I'm I'm not into the whole who wins, who loses trade deadlines and stuff like that. But if I were handing out an award for the best trade deadline this year, uh, it, it's got to go on Mike Oak's desk in Peterborough, doesn't it? I mean, my goodness, you're coming off the championship. The team had a hell of a start. We were talking earlier on this podcast earlier in the season about kind of you had Kitchener in the West and Peterborough in the East as these younger teams that were surprised or these unexpected teams that were surprising people. But Mike Oak clearly had a plan and the plan was strip it down to the bare bones. But in so doing, gosh, you really have to like what he went out and did. The Pete's now have from this past year's draft the ninth overall pick in Caden Taylor. That's the one that comes from Sudbury. The 12th overall pick in Nico Addy, the pick they got from the Owen Sound attack. The 13th overall pick in Carson Cameron, that's their own. And the 16th overall pick in Aiden Young, that's from the deal with Saginaw. So you now have four 
first rounders on your roster, not to mention the picks that he recouped. Tough to beat that kind of a deadline performance. Yeah, I would totally agree. Mike Mike Oak really proved that all these teams that are worried about, oh my God, we mortgaged the future, we unloaded everything. He just proved that this currency changes hands so quickly. If you have the right development, right assets, you're just going to recoup them back. The Peterborough Pete's cupboard looked mighty bare going into this year, which is why Mike Oak had the plan he did. And in one fell swoop this week, he's almost fully replenished that cupboard, uh, stocked it incredibly with those 07 berths. So he proved you can do it. Don't panic fans of teams that saw a bunch of picks and young players go out the door this week. You can do it. You can bring it back. And I, I would also point out the other thing that Mike Oak, I guess, benefited from, but it was partly his his thinking and his strategy is there was a lack of sellers this year. A lot of teams weren't sure they should sell. Uh, they had surprising results and were on the fence and maybe thinking about being a buyer. And Mike Oak said, no, I'm sticking to my guns. And because he was one of the few sellers that said early, my guys are for sale. Boy, did he reap the rewards of that. Um, so he took advantage of the circumstances, stuck to his plan, and that covered is looking pretty good now. And But the roster, I mean, you you didn't leave any, anybody behind, like, I mean, and I guess, I guess you, you have to be that ruthless if that's the right word. You do. Um, I, I, I see that, you know, the leadership group now, you kept, kept hung on to Mali. <laughs> uh, Cam Gobro is still there. Of course, you've got a few pieces to help those young kids. I suppose guys that went through the wars last year, uh, already has had great goaltending most of the year. Stushka, they've, they've got a few pieces to kind of get through this grind, but let's be, let's be real. It's going to be a rough year and a half, probably for the, at least for the Peterborough Peets, but that's, that's the gamble. That's the price you pay sometimes for championships and trying to reload for another championship. So uh, stick with it. Peterborough fans. I think you, you're going to be happy with what happened here. Just give it a while. I agree. And at least you can look back at that championship from 2023 that you've captured. It's not even just we loaded up and fell short. You actually won the prize. You've got the bobble. Uh, speaking of prizes, if Mike Oak is the guy that we would determine had the best trade deadline, I, it might not be a gimme. And I'm going to get to that in a second because I think another GM really uh, did a terrific job at this deadline. But just going back to those first round picks that Mike Oak was able to acquire. I'm not sure I recall a year, Dan, where we saw that happen so much, right? There were four overall. So Caden Taylor, Nico Addy, Aiden Young, all to Peterborough. And then Carter Costa goes from uh, North Bay, gets traded in uh, their deal with Sarnia for Vilmanis and the LeBlanc twins. So that's four of this year's, first rounders it seemed to be the price to play uh going back to something we were just talking about before we started recording and what dale DeGray, the gm and owen sound was saying even though he parted with nico addy he's saying the prices up out here today are a little bit on the ridiculous side i i wonder this like i i i think that by and large with the exception of one team for sure and maybe a couple others if we want to get nitpicky Wherever you go in this league, you're doing pretty well when it comes to the environment you're going to play in, uh, the way the team takes care of you, how well it's received in the community, et cetera, et cetera. But it's got to be a little tough, doesn't it? And I wonder if we're sending the wrong message to families who let their 16-year-old kids leave home and join this Ontario Hockey League thing and then 
maybe even before they turn 17, they're going to a brand new city, brand new school, brand new group of friends. And that's tough, man. That's tough. It is, you know, that's the, that's the side of this that I think makes us all uneasy. And I think the only solace we can hold on to is we are not privy to those conversations. It's those backroom things. I think a lot of the GMs and the teams in this league are awfully professional. And I think we know these 16 year old players have no movement clauses and could invoke them should they choose and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to approve this trade. I'm going to stay right where I am. And I know the the argument is, well, yeah, but if the team doesn't want you, how are you going to stick around? And But I think the professionalism of these people behind the scenes, what you get is a conversation, the families, the agents, the GMs, and they fully explain the situation. These kids know the business they chose. They've already moved away from home. They're already billeting. They've already taken a lot of steps that most 16-year-olds don't have to take. So there's a maturity there that comes with it. And when it's explained to them, you're going to a good environment, you're going to get tons of ice time, more than you are right now. You're going to accelerate your, your curve here before your NHL draft year, playing a big role, and end up in a great situation where we're going to go for a championship in two or three years. So I'd like to think that behind the scenes, a lot of this is handled a little more delicately than the press releases we see on social media saying, oh, they're, they're chattel. So uh, that I think we can hang on to that at very least. I do wonder, I'm going to keep an eye on this now because I saw you nodding your head. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, you saw Dan nodding his head too. When I was talking about not being able to recall a time where we saw this many first rounders, like that was the price if you wanted to play this year. I wonder if we've cracked open a wee bit of a Pandora's box and this becomes like the eight draft picks phases me far less than the four first rounders, right? The eight draft picks in one deal. We've seen nonsense like that for years and years and years in this league. I wonder if based on this year, if we're setting some sort of precedent for first rounders being moved at the trade deadline. I think so, Mike. We know this is all, we always talk about it's copycat league, it's precedent setting league. Years back, going back probably 15 years or more, we started to see the first trades where more than one second round pick was included. And that was seen as, oh, we've crossed a threshold here. The days where no one would give up more than a single pick, a high pick in these deals are gone. Now we're seeing two or three of them. Well, we crossed another threshold a few years back where we started to see three of those picks plus extra picks. Suddenly there were five, six, seven, eight picks, uh, nine picks last year for Minchikov. Well, I think we've crossed another threshold, Mike, because, yeah, it used to be really rare we'd ever see one of those first-round picks, 16-year-olds moved. And if they were, it was for an absolute superstar. It was for something that just, you know, there was no way we could avoid moving that guy. I think we've crossed another threshold here, and this is no disrespect to Connor Smith and Sam McHugh, but we're seeing these guys now move for good players, right? Uh, Slightly below the top tier players, very good players. But once you cross that threshold and that's now the asking price, I think you're going to have a lot of GMs saying what Dale DeGray said, like, come on. And the only way they can rationalize it in their heads is to say, well, maybe it's going to be our turn in a year or two. We're going to be able to demand that guy and hope that the price is there. Because usually once the trend set, it it stays there. And I I, I think the Pandora's box description is, is valid here. I'm just going to say this again, because you mentioned Connor Smith. He fits perfectly with that team in that building in Owen Sound. Okay, if maybe, maybe Mike Oak has a little bit of competition in the GM that had the best 
deadline. If you look to the telephone city of Brantford, you're nodding your head. I don't know if you knew this is who I was going to mention, but you got to hand it to Matt Turek, don't you? Not only the eight picks for Jory and Donovan that we already talked about, Team Canada tax or no Team Canada tax, but the sneaky little Noah Van Vliet deal, getting you back a skilled 17-year-old in Owen Prots and three more draft picks. <laughs> and And by the way, by the way, you want to talk about some stones, Matt Turk's team at the time of these deals was sitting first in its division and two points out of first in the Eastern Conference. Come on. That's a pretty shrewd deadline for young Mr. Turk in Brantford. Well, did he need any more street cred, Mike, after the largest yeah. deal last year? I mean, if you're wondering about the quality of your GM on, on the market here, I think Brantford fans can be pretty uh, comfortable with who they've got there. And and I don't think anyone, I didn't see anyone questioning it saying, oh, come on, we're a second, first, second place team. What are you doing? I think everyone said, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. And he just reaped huge returns on a couple quality players, no doubt. But to build that team back up, and just like we talked about Peterborough having a championship run last year and already looking good for a couple years out, Brantford might not even have that long away. Like you're talking about a team that's kind of in the mix this year and almost certainly is going to be there next year and then two years after. So this is the GM work that keeps you sustainably good, which is very tough to do in junior hockey. Very well said. Okay. Before, um, when you talk about a second place team and nobody raising eyebrows, there were some eyebrows raised at least with one of the deals made. We'll get to some surprises a little bit later on in this episode, but I, I want to flip back to the Western conference where I promise we're doing the best we can. I made notes to try to keep us on track because there's so much we could be talking about. And some of the things that we might miss again, send an email OHL podcast at rogers.com. If we didn't give your team the do you think that it deserved, but I, I think Sault Ste. Marie and, and Kitchener in the West, Dan, are still notable. I like what Kyle Raftis did. He he had to pay. He had to pay in order to get Gavin Hayes and Jacob Frasca. But these are the kinds of moves you make when you think you have a chance. And, and nobody, nobody in the West would like to upset Saginaw's apple cart more than the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Yeah, and those are two pretty sly additions, are they not? Like you look at big center lineup guys on a team that's already extremely good ro always rolling in the same direction i think there's a belief in that dressing room that they can be just about anyone we've seen it in a few head-to-head -head matches already this year and when you have that belief that goes a long way and then you throw a couple pieces in like hayes and frasca and suddenly the confidence just goes up another notch and you know i don't know i we we look at how loaded for bear that saginaw team is and i don't want to discount you know, Kitchener, Owen Sound, a few others, London in, in the West. But Sue has got to be the dark horse, are they not? I mean, I'm not even sure how dark that horse is. Like, they, they're right there. And I, I think that they've, Kyle Raptus has given them everything they need to be all that Saginaw can handle. Alex Kostoff and Connor Clattenburg, tough pieces to part with. But like I said, if you want to make moves, and, and Kyle Raptus, I think, did a pretty nice job in acquiring those pieces that you described, Dan, so well will fit in with that Sault Ste. Marie lineup. On the Rangers side of the ledger, they didn't have to give up the likes of a Kostov or a Clattenburg. What they did, and and I think this is a, a credit to the coaching staff in Kitchener, uh, Kyle Morey and Blair Scott are the roster players removed from Kitchener going up to Barry to join the Colts. Largely, I don't, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say spare parts, but Blair Scott might have found himself 
with the recent addition of Max Diracolo as an eighth defenseman in Kitchener. And, and Kyle Morey is a player that I have seen more out of this year than in the time we saw him a season ago. So I give full credit to the coaching staff to developing this guy, elevating his game and making him a more marketable asset. But certainly a couple of pieces that the Rangers have enough like on the roster. And then somehow Mike McKenzie digs into the cupboard and looks into the corners and finds eight draft picks. This after a year where he went pretty hard and took a big swing and missed. And a lot of people looked at the Kitchener Rangers this year and said they didn't have the assets to play with the big boys. And all of a sudden, Mike McKenzie, I think, pulls off a pretty damn shrewd deal of his own with those two players, Scott and Maury, and those eight picks. But none of the picks are in the 2024 draft. And in return, he gets a first-round pick to the NHL in Edward Chalet and the kind of gritty defenseman that he needs in Olivier Savard. Yeah, so a couple a couple things on this deal, Mike. So you you said it very well about the nod to the coaching staff. This is how good organizations stay good is if you develop your pieces, your players, then they you increase their value. When you increase their value, you can do lots of things with them. Uh and that is exactly what happened with those two Kitchener lads that were were moved. On the flip side in terms of what they brought in, I think I identified a little while back, probably about a month back, that Olivier Savard might be someone they're looking at. Look around the league at teams that might be sellers, that have kind of veteran stabilizing defenders. And the list of names was not that long. Olivier Savard jumped out at me quickly. So I thought that that's something that the Rangers might eye. Uh, Chalet, obviously a potentially very high-end piece on Ford and, and adding that type of dynamic on could pay off in spades. I know he's been a little inconsistent in his first year in North America, some questions about, about that, the consistency and the work ethic at times, but oodles of skill. And we understand from Gene Pereira's article on the trade where he spoke to Marty Williamson that there may have been some input from the Seattle Kraken and Shelley's agent that he would love to finish his OHL career in Kitchener alongside fellow Kraken prospect Carson Rakoff. So this could pan out extremely well for the Kitchener Rangers or who knows where it'll go. But those are two pieces that I think they desperately needed if they were going to try to keep pace with Saginaw Sioux. And you have now, because I think what a lot of people forget is Mitch Martin, who was really playing the best hockey he had been playing for the Rangers and goes out with another freak injury. The poor guy's just been beat up with those weird injuries, but expected back, let's say within the next month, certainly I would expect it even sooner, but the timeline has been indicating towards the end of January. So we'll just, whatever the point is, he's going to come back into this lineup and all of a sudden you've got another top six forward. Chalet is going to get top six minutes. And all of a sudden you think of the likes of Rakoff and Mashar and Chalet and Martin. and The list just goes on and on for this Kitchener Rangers hockey club. So it's uh, it's a pretty deep group now and it's going to be a tough group to handle. And then when it comes to the draft picks surrendered, because Mike McKenzie didn't give up any from his 2024 cupboard, there is a risk for sure, but assuming some of your bigger stars, one or two or more of your bigger stars comes back a season from now, you can then go about the business of recouping those eight draft picks and more that you just traded away in this deal. Yeah, there's definitely strategy to this, and it makes a lot of sense for it. It just does. And 
the point you made about Mitchell Martin, I think is huge. I think people forget about him and there's a top line player who is just a beast for Kitchener in the playoffs last year, arguably the, the best forward. So when you look at that forward group that's been assembled there, I think it's as deep on talent and tenacity as any of those teams. I think they can run with anyone on forward. Question with Kitchener will be, is there enough on defense? Because some kids on the back end, they've really got four veterans and then all kids on the back end. So potentially an injury or or a downturn away from some trouble there. But if those kids can rise up, a rookie like Cameron Reed rise, rises up, they're, they're right in the mix. So... Uh, yeah, some potency there and some long-term strategy, and, and you love to see it. It is going to be really interesting in the Western Conference because we haven't even talked about the London Knights. Not that they did a lot trade deadline-wise, but they're always there. The hottest team in the Ontario Hockey League as we record this this week. I mean, you got to like a lot about what's going on in London. Owen Sound Attack, Guelph Storm. I mean, it's going to be really interesting especially given what Saginaw's done. Okay, we are not even close to done. There were some surprise buyers at this deadline. There were some really curious decisions made by at least two of the franchises in the Ontario Hockey League. And any dark horses out there for us to talk about? Of course there are. We'll get into all of that as we continue on the OHL podcast. All right, let's start with the surprises, Dan. And you identified uh, a couple that jumped out at you as, hmm, you weren't sure they were going to add, but they ended up doing just that. Yeah, there was a, there were there were a couple. So we talked early about obviously Owen Sound adding. They established themselves as a buyer early, and then a couple we weren't sure about. Uh, we saw some ads in North Bay, which. I wasn't shocked there. Uh, obviously, their roster, they were very similar to Peterborough in my mind. They had a had a good run, had emptied the cupboard a little, could have taken the Peterborough path and say, you know what, regardless, we've got to move some bodies here. I'm just speculating. I don't know if the offers for Dom DiVincentis and, and were not there, Ty Nelson were not there, and they said, you know what, we're running pretty hot here. We could add a couple pieces and go for another year. They sure did. They went out, you got the LeBlanc, LeBlanc twins, Phil Manish. They, they said, we're all in. So a bit of a surprise buyer there. Uh, but to the delight of the North Bay fans, I think they're in the mix there. But I'm, I'm not sure if you had any surprises on your end there, Mike. Well, for what it's worth, having just been in North Bay this past weekend, the general consensus there from folks I talked to was that, you know, a lot of people look at junior hockey as what Peterborough is doing. You build up, you win your championship, you strip it all down, you start over again. We don't believe in that in North Bay. Now, this was not somebody from inside the organization. I'm not quoting or paraphrasing Adam Dennis or anybody else, but just folks I talked to around the rink, the general consensus was we like to be consistently good. So good luck. I mean, look, I still think I, I don't see anybody head and shoulders above by any stretch maybe an eyebrow and up above but you got to love the goaltending you got to love the firepower you got to love the defense so a lot to like there in north bay and we'll see what they're able to do the owen sound deal is really interesting to me so based on what we learned about prices 
and how they seemed to be, to be going up after Dale DeGray made his moves. Shrewd on his part to get in when he did. I just, I thought it was really interesting to be the first to jump in the West because as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, Dave Drinkle made it clear to anybody who would listen that he is going to be doing as much as he possibly can. So, you know, are, are the additions that, you know, in, in Connor Smith and Sam McHugh that Dale DeGray made enough to put Owen Sound over the top? Like you're talking over the top as in Saginaw and probably London and Kitchener and Sault Ste. Marie. So it's not an easy path. But when he did make the deal, and it reminded me a lot of Kitchener last year, didn't it you? I mean, Kitchener was an eighth, made moves, and everybody was scratching their head, or a lot of people were. Owen Sound in seventh, and Dale DeGray makes these moves. It told me one thing right away, that he believes Colby Barlow is fully healthy and raring to go. Can't underestimate the impact of that. And then I thought about what he's got between the pipes there, Carter George, without question, one of the best in the business. Show me a good goalie, I'll show you a championship team. I'm not saying the Owen Sound attack are going to be champions, but if I'm making the case, those are the arguments I'm going to use. Yeah, I, I think it's evaluating your roster, right? And you look at you look at Mad Steen, you look at Sam Sadley, you look at Cedric Gendon, you look at Denny Gour, all players probably graduating. That's the heart of your team. That's the core of your team. So I think you look at Carter George and Nett and Dale DeGray says, you know, if if we bolster that a little bit, we become awfully hard to score on. And teams that are very hard to score on and do have some potency up front, like the fellows we just mentioned and Colby Barlow, suddenly you're in the mix. And let's not forget Petrovsky as well. Like they've got they've got some pieces there. And when you add a Connor Smith and the Sam McHugh, suddenly I, I think it's a team that instead of loading up top to bottom, like we saw Saginaw do and, and, and some of these other teams, I think the model there is more we're building a really rock solid core and hoping that core carries us through. And that model has worked before too. So I think it's Dale DeGray evaluating the roster he had, identifying the piece he wanted, specifically Connor Smith and Sam McHugh and saying, I'm jumping early, making sure I lock those guys up and then I don't care what happens. Cedric Gandon, Denny Gore, who just had an eight-point night. The list goes on. So it's going to be pretty interesting in the West uh, down the stretch for sure. Okay, one of the two curious teams, and I, I know you're – well, if there's a third or a fourth that you want to add, I know if I'm just going to start with one, everybody's going to know what the second curious team is. But let's start, Dan, with the Flint Firebirds. When they made the Gavin Hayes deal – to Sault Ste. Marie, I thought, okay, like I wasn't entirely sure, but I suspected that Flint was at a point where they're going to sell. So that to me signaled, okay, the sell is on. And and they get that decent return, right? They get Kostoff, they get Klattenberg, they get picks. At that point, I had, now it, I could be out by a pick or two, but dating back to the Riley Patterson deal with Barry in the summer, I had Flint at a net of 20 draft picks earned it was 24 but they swapped some in in their deal so whatever i have them give or take okay you're, you're pushing two dozen draft picks recouped cost off clattenburg you're selling great and i thought good job like that you know all things considered you're doing well and then i i, I don't even know what to say or how to explain the decisions on acquiring both roberto mancini and Oliver Peer 
from the Windsor Spitfires and and Mancini a second and a third and Pierre for five picks, two more of them sec or it was five picks total for Mancini and Pierre. Two seconds, three thirds, a fourth, and an eleventh. That got that right? Yeah, so that's seven picks total. Pierre was five. And then Mancini a second and a third. I got so many notes I can't keep them straight. And neither neither clearly can the Flint Firebirds. I don't understand for the life of me what happened there. I, I don't either, Mike. This is one that I struggled to explain. I was asked a few times this week about it, and I get the sell. I understand the sell. And in, in the environment they're in in the West this year, recouping some picks for for some of their players, they moved out. Uh, we just saw them move Giroux. They, Hayes, obviously. You're getting some decent assets back. Even if it's a softer sell by some standards, fine. But then to turn around and spend so much capital – on a couple players that aren't going to be around long, who, with all due respect to Roberto Mancini, I really like his game. Oliver Pierre is a great kid, having a good year. But they're not moving the needle for you unless there's something they bring to the dressing room culturally or something off ice you're looking for. I'm not sure. It just doesn't make sense to me because you're loading up your cupboard to go for it down the road, and then you just make moves that limit your ability to go for it down the road. So when you move Gavin Hayes and, and Drew and some of these other players, you're saying we're not really competing this year. We're not really contending this year. Um, so I'm not sure why you're loading up to try and be mediocre this year. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. So it's Mancini for a second, and a third Pierre for a second, two thirds, a fourth and an 11th. So the net loss really Two seconds, three thirds, a fourth, and an eleventh, and you're adding guys that, as you said, you're not sure are going to move the needle. I'm going to come back again to this idea because I had them give or take one or two picks at a net positive of twenty picks since the beginning of the season. It's just currency, Dan. It's just currency. If you have them now, you'll throw them away. If you don't have them now, you'll you'll buy them back later. That's the only way I can possibly explain it. Yeah, and. and... The addendum I'd add on there to explain it too, though, is that that currency can be used in various ways and you can spend it wisely, invest it, put it into real estate, do whatever you want, or you can go down to the candy store and blow it. And I would, I would reference those later moves as that you're, you know, short-term instant gratification over long-term good planning is what it looks like to me, but uh, I'm hoping there's more to it that I don't understand. And perhaps we'll understand better down the road. But right now we are scratching our scalp when it comes to that one. Okay. The other one, and I don't know how many messages you got, but I had a lot of people asking me, whoa, like that was a lot for Bronson ride. Wasn't it? That was, that was a good return for Niagara from North Bay for defenseman Bronson ride. And, and a lot of people were impressed with that. And I thought, are we sure? Like, who actually pulled the trigger on this deal? Because this is very un-Ice Dogs-like. Uh, but then about 24 hours later, the Ice Dogs just had to go and Ice Dog it up again. And they trade Brody Crane to Guelph for a sixth-round pick. The same Brody Crane that Niagara acquired for a roster player in Chris O'Flaherty. Two-thirds and a fourth. A dozen games later. A dozen games later. Two-thirds, a fourth, and a player. And you trade him away for a sixth. I can't make it make sense. No, and Bronson Ride was a player I'd identified for a few of the contenders. So that might be a nice sneaky 
not overpriced ad. And I saw that deal. I'm like, wow, good for Niagara. That's a great return on Bronson Ride. I understand now why some of those other teams didn't go for him. And then you see the Brody Crane trade. And instantly, it, instead of me praising them for the Bronson Ride deal, I'm starting to think that looks a lot like the blind squirrel analogy found a nut, but right back to his, to his ways afterwards. Because it's really hard to sell any kind of competence to your fan base when you move three high picks in November for a player and then trade him for one lower pick in early January. And there's just really no explaining that in any way, shape or form without saying I screwed up. <laughs> so I, I've been, I've been given this a little bit of thought and I will, I, I I'm going to come into this with an open mind and, and allow you the opportunity to walk me back from this ledge to talk me down whatever analogy you want to use, but, but here, here's what I'm starting to think when it comes to the Niagara ice dogs, because I, I look, I had a hard enough time with the number of players and picks traded at this deadline at, you know, more than 50 players, more than a hundred picks. I, I'm not even trying to keep track of ice dogs moves anymore. The running joke was, and I think we were pretty solid on the number last year at 27, 27 moves made over the course of one season. And, it seems like every time or every other time there was a trade this year, the ice dogs were involved. Here's where I'm at. I, I think I'm about ready to put the kibosh on any Niagara ice dogs talk on this podcast until there's a new owner. If the owner is not going to take the franchise seriously or the team seriously, or this league seriously, the fans seriously, why should I waste any of my breath? It's honestly like, and I know that's coming across as, really pissy and really harsh, but I'm, I'm over. I just don't understand how this sort of thing happens. I just don't. Yeah. And, and frankly, I think we're running out of things to say about it too, Mike, right? There's some, there's, there's some great kids there that deserve to be talked about, which we do. But when you look at the fan base and asking your fans to pay money for tickets and jerseys and get behind this team, how are they supposed to do that when they don't even know who's going to be on the roster week to week because of all the ship-ins and ship-outs and changes in strategy? And sh it just becomes a circus, which I think at this point we, we're fair to label it as. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you if, you if you add that moratorium here because I've got not much else to say. <laughs> it's a really good point on the players who are worth talking about. But And look, what influence can this pod, this little podcast wield? I don't know any at all. I doubt it. But just for my own sanity. Oh my goodness. It's like a 19 team league right now. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, because it's just, it's just utter nonsense what's happening right there. And it's, it's a crying shame. It really is. Speaking of, you know, the fans and who they get, but I hope nobody bought a Brody crane Jersey because 12 games, 12 games, the young man played in an ice dogs uniform. Goodness gracious me. Okay. Some dark horse, buys uh, at, at least one that jumped out at you and and i certainly liked it as well but who uh who do you like yeah so there's one in kind of an honorable mention so one that flew under the radar and everybody likes the big shiny toys that moved uh but one that i thought was a really shrewd pickup were the oshawa generals picking up connor punnett a, a defenseman i loved and thought a lot of teams should be in on of course as no rager limits the market but thomas stewart great kid uh, and a third and a six, but Connor Punnett can bring it uh, in more ways than one on that back end. So I thought that was a really shrewd move. If you 
if you want to get in the playoffs in the lower seeds and make some noise and, and be hard to play against, that's your guy. So I thought that was a really shrewd move by the Oshawa Generals. And then a quick uh, quick honorable mention I would throw out there is the Kingston Frontenacs. And picking up Jax Dubois, a terrific big-bodied centerman, wins all his draws, championship pedigree and experience, another big body to a team that just added Roman Schmidt, can be heavy to play against. They've got some pieces back, like Gabriel Frasca from injury. Don't discount them. So those are a couple low-key dark horse moves I, I, I like, Mike, that flew under the radar. There weren't the headline-making ones that I think could have very strong impacts. Might uh, might have to add Corey Cooper to our list of GMs that had good deadlines, Not if not right up at the deadline, but certainly uh, the Roman Schmidt deal paying dividends. Uh, you're right. I like the Jax Dubois move and, and Kingston had started to play better. Remember they were another team uh, planning to bid or they did bid for the Memorial cup this year. So certainly expected to be in the mix and now starting to play that way. And on Oshawa's front, uh, that's a, that's a well-coached structured team, maybe a little bit sleepy on the offensive side of things, but boy, do they play a nice game. The game that I was there again, I'm basing this on one live viewing, but it was new year's day. And I thought that together, Oshawa and Kitchener put on a heck of a junior hockey showcase. It was a really well-played game. So, yeah, don't sleep on the Gens in the East. It'll be really, really interesting. And I'm going to just throw one more nod in here because it might have been the quietest uh, deadline in George Burnett's long and storied uh, Ontario Hockey League history. And a lot of us were wondering, Dan, going in, what are the Guelph Storm going to do? I heard some say like they're going to be full on buyers and maybe George surveyed the market and said, well, this is not the kind of market I want to go buying in. You know, Cam Allen's coming back this month. Is Matthew Potra coming back? I, I still think yes. I don't know. But even by doing very little, the Guelph Storm are a very dangerous proposition based on Allen's return alone, the chance that Patra comes back, they're getting good goaltending, they've got some punch up front. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and I, I would probably characterize Guelph's deadline as maybe mildly disappointing, but I get it. I understand George Burnett's hands were tied by not having all the information he probably needed, not knowing if Patra's coming back, not knowing exactly what you're going to get out of Cam Allen after missing so much time. So there are a few balls in the air that it probably kept him guessing a little but would love to see them go one way or the other uh, a couple of the pieces they had to sell would have got them a decent return potentially or hedge that yeah if we get potra back we're we're a dark horse in the west here so maybe add a piece or two so very quiet um not sure i love it uh we'll see how it goes maybe they're happy with a round or potentially two erie was awful quiet Sarnia relatively quiet. I mean, those are three big pieces to sell off, but you know, it's just the the one splash really. Mississauga, as you'd expect, is quiet. James Boyd up in Ottawa, interesting. Certainly not giving up any ghosts in the nation's capital yet. And I don't know why anybody in the East would think they don't have a chance because you know, first to eighth, and nobody yet running away with it. It it remains to be seen if somebody now post deadline begins to run away from the pack. Yeah, that's right. I think I think a lot of the teams in the East feel that they have a chance to make some noise, and rightfully so. And I, I have a feeling that there were a couple deals that 
GMs were looking to make that didn't quite get finalized. And I feel like Ottawa might have had a deal or two that that didn't come to fruition, but still picking up a guy like Maya. Like there were some ads there that are really gonna make them a tough, tough out. Uh, let's face it, the Ottawa 67s are never an easy out, but with the potency they've got in that lineup, stabilizing that back end a bit, keeping pucks out of the net. Great goaltending when Colin McKenzie comes back. Uh would you bet much money on any team there, Mike? <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. And, you know, I was even thinking as we're wrapping up this episode, like, would I even be so bold right now as to say, you know, here are my top four, two from each side. Uh, look, you be the judge of what happened on, you know, the trade deadline this year and what your team looks like. And we'll revisit this in a month or two down the road. All we know for sure is it's going to be a hell of a second half because this was a very, very interesting time. 100%. I'm so looking forward to these playoffs because I love it whenever you feel like a lot of teams have a chance to at least win their first round series. And that's what makes it exciting. And make no mistake about it, there's going to be some bitter disappointments. Some of these pickups didn't perform as expected. And then there's going to be some really big surprises. Uh, but that's what we're here for. And that's why the championship is in the Ontario Hockey League this year. It makes it a lot more fun on this side. You get it once every three years, so we best enjoy it. Okay, Dan and I are getting back on the, the regular routine. Holidays are over. Like we said earlier in this episode, we just figured with the timing, we'll just get out a post-deadline episode. So hope you enjoyed this. Remember, always give us feedback anytime, okay? OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Please subscribe on both your favorite podcast channel, uh, on YouTube, give us a like, a review, leave a comment, tell a friend, all those lovely things. We appreciate you, and we'd appreciate you doing that. Our next episode will be out as per usual on Tuesday, and we'll keep running them out every Tuesday as we go through the season and then into the second season of the playoffs. Find Dan Mahar on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell, at Farwell underscore OHL. Thanks so much for being a supporter of the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.